Hey, hey, everyone, Tom Workus here, and welcome back to another broadcast of In the Trenches. Today's guest is Megan Reamer, who is the founder of Jackson's Honest, a healthy snack foods company. And you may have seen Megan on Shark Tank, where she was able to land an over $1 million investment from one of the sharks, and that happened in 2017. So since then, Megan has certainly scaled operations, and we talk about that in today's conversation. The primary takeaway from my conversation with Megan Reamer was this idea of product channel fit. Now, we don't go into this in depth in the call, but just upon reflection of our conversation, this is what I found to be the main thread that I found most interesting. So you'll have to listen for it to see if you pick it up. But basically, I look at product channel fit like this. There are plenty of snack companies in the world. There are fewer, but still many healthy snack food companies in the world. But the number of healthy snack food companies with their products on the shelves of Whole Foods, well, that could be counted in the hundreds, if not dozens. It's hyper-competitive, but it also means you stand out. And for a product like Megan's, that's exactly the audience she wanted to get in front of. So the principle here, I think, is alignment. Is your brand story aligned with your packaging, positioning, and pricing? And are you marketing and selling in the correct channel? Specific consumers enjoy specific products delivered to them in specific ways. What I mean is, there's a reason you don't find Teslas alongside your local Ford or Chrysler dealership. Likewise, there's a reason you don't find Old Davies 10-for-1 t-shirt offers inside Nordstrom. Regardless if everything about the product stays the same, the quality, the feel, the taste, whatever it is, the environment in which you sell will elevate or devalue your offer. So as you listen to today's conversation, see if you can pick up on how Megan approached this product channel fit idea. And I think you'll find some relevant and useful strategies for your own marketing and sales efforts. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. So Megan, I know a lot of people know of Jackson's Honest via Shark Tank. But before we get to that point, I know you'd put in many years of hard work building this company. And I think the origin story is remarkable. So can you tell me a little bit about the origin of your company, where it began and uh, take us, so take us back. I don't know. I think that's about 10 years or so, right? Uh, yes, it, it's quite a saga at this point. Mm -hmm. So give, give us like the origin story here. What, what spurred it? Uh, I believe it had something to do kind of with your family, with your son. So if you could kind of talk us through that. Yeah, sure. Thanks so much, Tom. I'm really excited to be here and uh, speak with you about Jackson's Honest for sure. Um, we started this business really to just share this product and and our son's story. And so it was something that we'd been, you know, had been part of our lives uh, from the time he was about two years old. And so my son Jackson uh, would have turned 17 last week. He he unexpectedly passed away in August. So this this whole uh, story begins when he's about two years old, um, and he very slowly over the period over a period of about two to three years. Um, so by the time he was five or so. Uh, lost most of his uh, gross and fine motor function. So he went from this, you know, happy walking and talking toddler to uh, some muscle weakness in his feet that gradually got worse and then started spreading up his body. And over the course of the three-year period, um, just really robbed him of functionality. So he couldn't walk anymore. He couldn't feed himself. He couldn't even talk because of the fine motor uh, dysfunction. And so during that period, we were frantically looking for answers and taking him around the country to different specialists, and no one could figure out what was going on. For my husband and I, 
we had always very much uh, valued and read labels, and um, I ate this clean diet, even you know, say twenty years ago, pre our son. And so, you know, we were buying organic dairy and produce, and you know, eating foods that didn't have any colors or preservatives or additives in them. And so, you know, for us, in not understanding what was happening with Jackson. And, um, you know, trying to find answers from the medical community, we just pivoted and started looking at his diet to, to try to maintain some semblance of control over what was happening. And so because this regression looked so much like uh, an autoimmune disease, like multiple sclerosis or Lou Gehrig's disease, we just made this pretty big assumption that that's what it was. And in doing so, we started to evaluate his diet relative to inflammation. And so we would, you know, we kind of broke apart this macronutrient level, so fats, proteins, and carbs, and then tried to further identify foods within those macronutrients as pro or anti-inflammatory. And, and all we wanted to do was not contribute to more inflammation in his body. And so we uh, fed him this very low anti-inflammatory diet from the time he was about kind of four years old, um, all the way until he died. And, uh, and it really had a lot of roots in keto, in a keto diet. And then certainly, you know, as the paleo diet evolved, um, we, we took a lot of those pieces as well. And so it was this kind of hybrid of both of those approaches, which, you know, now are very popular and people are really finding them and, and also, uh, you know, implementing them and living those diets and finding results on the other side. And, and a lot of people get there the same way we did by, you know, trying to address uh, a medical need or a nutritional need. And so it was a lot of trial and error, a lot of experimentation. When we started doing this with Jackson, it was 14 years ago and we couldn't find most of the products that we needed on the shelf. So you know, things like bone broth and uh, fermented foods, sauerkraut, kombucha, um, you know, uh, kind of uh, these chips, for instance, because we were using them specifically, we were using coconut oil specifically for them, even grass fed butter, it was hard for us to find. And so, you know, most of the things we were cooking jerky, uh, a good jerky was it, it didn't exist um, 14 years ago. And so, uh, so we made all those things from scratch and as time went on and, and, you know, the paleo movement in particular started to gain more acceptance and awareness, we, you started to see some of those foods pop up on the shelf. And so it became much more convenient for us to live this dietary lifestyle. But these chips in particular, potato chips were something that were not, we weren't finding still on the shelf and we were making by hand. And, you know, we saw olive oil chips, we saw avocado oil chips and, we thought there had to be, you know, there had to be more people besides us looking for a chip, a snack food cooked in organic coconut oil. And so uh, without any CPG experience, my husband and I quite naively decided to launch this snack food company, starting with potato chips, uh, which, which were are, and continue to be cooked in organic coconut oil. So that's really how we started. We kind of... Um, I think looked at each other and thought we have a great product. We know they taste great and we have a really uh, good story to share. And it felt like the right thing to do to share what he'd been through. And so that decision was kind of mid 2012 and we were making our chips by hand. We were bagging them. We were sealing them. 
We were shipping them. Uh, we were doing all of that from this tiny little mountain town in Colorado called Crested Butte. Um, and then kind of took the next year, most of 2013, to uh, to identify a co-packer, a manufacturing facility that we could work with to scale it um, because we were already having a problem uh um, supplying, meeting the demand uh, of the orders that we had online and just with some small independent health food stores. And so we got real, our first real retail distribution was January 2014. And that was with our local Whole Foods in the Rocky Mountain region. That's an amazing story. And again, I'm so sorry to hear about your son. With everything else that's going on, like, you know, you and your husband building this business, you have a family, obviously, you know, having to go through the death of a son is a difficult thing for anybody, let alone somebody who's trying to build a business. And it's not like you can just really take, you know, a few months off or something like that. Yeah. How did you guys kind of navigate that territory and deal with that? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I'm still very much in that space of trying to find my boundaries and trying to find uh, the space that I need to, to, to pull back when I need to, because it is, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, there's no, there's no window to, um, to do that, to detach at all, because it is fully, you know, we have a tiny team as well, but you know, Scott and I do a lot of parts of the business too. Right. And so, um, so if I'm not there to process AP and AR, well, then there are big problems. And so I, I was very limited in the amount of space and time that I could give myself and Scott as well, uh, immediately after Jackson died. And I think, you know, over the last nine months, it's been trying to figure out what that balance is. And it had become so skewed toward the business over the previous, you know, five years that we'd been fully engaged in building this business that uh, it, it was it was clearly a breaking point for us j- just personally, but also in trying to, it had, it forced that balance for us that we had been just pushing off to the side and building the business. And so, you know, as you can try to make lemonade out of lemons, that's one of the more positive things that have, uh, that have come out of that experience, just recognizing, you know, how far out of my comfort zone I want to go. And then how far back, you know, how do I pull that back? And how does that interact with the rest of the team and just really getting clear on some of those things? Yeah. And when you guys built this business, and you guys are still based in Crested Butte, right? We are based in Crested Butte. We have an office in Boulder as well. Again, yeah, you mentioned like kind of this, I'm actually right across the way uh, toward the Aspen area. And uh, so, yeah, I've, I've been there once and, you know, it's definitely like, you know, a small mountain town. How, what were the dynamics of starting it from there? Because you said, you mentioned you, one of the big, I think, um, well, it was one of the Whole Foods in the in the area that was able to get you uh, some of the packaging or distribution. Is that correct? Like kind of walk me through that process of how you were able to start like in this area that's somewhat remote to kind of be able to break into this industry. Yeah. I mean, we got, we had a lot of lucky breaks. I'll say that too. Um, I think there's a lot of luck involved in starting a small business and being an entrepreneur and, you know, you can control only so much of it, but you do need some of those special breaks along the way. And for us, it was having these really great partners right out of the gate. And so, uh, so starting in Crested Butte, we were buying all of our potatoes from the local farmer's market and from farmers that we knew there. So they were all coming out of Paonia and Hotchkiss. And, um, you know, we were working around, like we were playing around with 
what type of potatoes we wanted to use, um, and what what varieties, and you know what uh, farmers we were working with. Like I said, they were. Uh, they had been good friends already, and then when we approached them about buying hundreds of pounds of potatoes from them every week, um, they really, you know, went all in on it with us. And so, we were able to source locally what we needed initially, and then probably within six months of starting the business and still making them by hand, we started selling them online. And that's where things got really wonky for us, where we, you know, we had to open up sales and let people know that we had inventory and then it would sell out within 10 minutes. And, you know, we had made 500 bags the previous night and, uh, and then they were all gone and I was shipping them. And then we were making more that evening. Like we were literally frying chips every single night. They were selling out within the next day or two. And then, uh, we could never keep up with the orders. And so, um, you know, probably within, I'd say eight or nine months of starting the business, like starting literally to make them by hand and trying to find the right commercial kitchen to work with in Crested Butte. My husband was like getting tendonitis in his elbow and, and he was, he had a regular job during the day. And so he said like, I can't keep doing this. We need to figure out how we're scaling this and, and, and where to find a co-packer in a manufacturing facility, which is not easy to do at all. And so Again, through a series of introductions, we found one locally in Denver, and they were well beyond our capacity. Like they were very much kind of a uh, uh, making chips for, say, Kroger, like at that level, twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week uh, facility. Um, but they really liked our story, and they really liked that we'd been making them by hand, and they became a really good partner for us um, in teaching us about the business as well. And so. Um, you know, I think our initial challenges in Crested Butte were very, uh, you know, maybe what you'd expect of living in a small town. I mean, Crested Butte from the front range of Colorado, so from Denver or Boulder, it's like 200 miles Southwest. Uh, it's an even smaller town than Aspen or Carbondale or some of the other kind of mountain towns along that I-70 corridor. And so, it can feel very remote. Uh, and for instance, you know, our, I was shipping all of these boxes out and, you know, the cutoff time each day was one o'clock in the afternoon. And so, you know, that doesn't really sound like a big deal, but getting all of that stuff packaged and ready and, and over to the post office or over to the FedEx pickup by 1 PM with four kids was a ton of work. And, you know, and that was after staying up till two or three o'clock in the morning making the chips. And so, um, you know, it was hard to find people to help us. It was hard to find, you know, just kind of some some folks to help us fry chips at night. Nobody really wanted to do that. And so, um, you know, I think that we had so much community support around launching the business and, and it was definitely a head scratcher. People couldn't make the connection between you know, us sharing Jackson's story and talking about Jackson and how do you link that to potato chips? Like, how did you come up with this product out of that? Um, and it all revolved around the ingredients and why we were using coconut oil, for instance. But, but I think, um, you know, some of the logistics challenges for us in the beginning were significant with just like trying to get product out the door. Yeah, no, I can imagine. That's immediately kind of where my head went is in the, uh, the, the space of logistics in the mountains. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine it's a what an uphill battle, so to speak. Um, 
when you guys, but you, you, you were able to kind of overcome a lot of those hurdles, even like those, those immediate challenges of the, of logistics and kind of getting the product out there, selling it when you, well, let me, let me ask you this. Why did you guys apply to, to, to get on Shark Tank? I know it was part of it was going to be to share your story. And I know, you know, you guys, I believe I, I heard an interview or read an interview where you talked about going in with no expectation necessarily to get a deal, but to share the story. So I'm just curious from your guys' perspective, was it, and it was the intention, Hey, we could get a deal and that's great, but also like this could be a good, just marketing and positioning for us to be able to, uh, be on the show. And then of course, what were the results? Yeah. I mean, I think you said it best. It was, it was a combination of things, right? And so some folks go there only for the marketing value, only for the right. exposure. And, um, you know, Scott and I very much approached it in this open, uh, you know, open space of receiving, and this is going to sound, I guess, maybe super crested Buter or Uvi Groovy, but just like going in there for the experience. If there was the right person, the right investor who was interested in our business with the right economics, then it made sense to do a deal. And so we didn't go in there sort of gunning for something one way or the other. Like, you know, there are folks that go in there fully, like never wanting to do a deal, just only wanting the media exposure um, or vice versa, right? They only want to do a deal with this one particular shark and they won't accept, you know, they almost get blinders on and they are, they're not open to the conversation that evolves during that, you know, hour or so that you're on the set and pitching to them. And so Scott and I really went in there with no expectation. We knew it would be great media exposure. We knew we'd reach these households and this audience that, you know, on a, in a marketing budget, we would never have the dollars for in any short term, you know, conversation. But we were also really open to doing a deal um, because where we were in our growth, we were the largest company they'd ever had on there revenue wise um, because we were already kind of four years into our business at $10 million, $10 million in sales. And so, you know, that was one of the questions we had for them. Like this was sort of a mutual introduction to the Shark Tank crew. Um, it wasn't quite the same process as. Uh, going to an open audition and pitching to the to the uh, producers and then starting to go through the process. It was a it was a bit different, but um, that was one of our first questions. Aren't we too big? You know, do, are, are we not start a, enough of a startup to participate in this? And you know, their answer to us was that they wanted to show companies at different stages, and they were starting to wind that into their programming because it's not all about being a startup. Like where we were in our growth. And where we continue to be is this real inflection point and in basically going from, from a startup and, and an early emerging brand with significant growth to kind of the next step of that, right? And so how do you now sustain those velocities? How do you grow to the next level of a 20 or 30 million or beyond company? And you know what pieces do you need to have in place to do that? And so we felt like uh, going on Shark Tank there was an opportunity with the right shark who knew that information or who could help kind of leapfrog some of these steps that uh, we might have to go through in order to move forward in that growth pattern. And so uh, it was a really wonderful, positive experience for us. Just, you know, the whole thing, like the television part of it with you know, waiting in our trailer for our call and hopping on the golf cart to drive around the set and, you know, the craft services table, all these things that, you know, you sort of uh, associate with, uh, with, with the television and the, you know, the, 
I don't want to say celebrity, that's not what I mean, but sort of that whole scene, right? The film and TV, you know, behind the scenes stuff of, of how things get made, how those uh, TV shows and, and films actually happen and the bits in which they are recorded and, and filmed. And so, you know, there was that whole piece of it going to hair and makeup, for instance, was, was really fun and not something I'd likely do again, you know? And so then there was the whole investment piece and, uh, and actually being on the set, pitching to the sharks, walking through everything with them. It's an, it was an hour long conversation that they, um, edited to, you know, a 10 or 11 minute segment, uh, on the show. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's those are the things you just have no idea about just as a viewer um, and how much is probably removed from those conversations. So they can definitely paint you in whatever light they mm-hmm. choose. So again, I, I think it's, you know, speaks to how you guys perform that, uh, that they liked you well enough to, to make it, you know, make you guys um, kind of look as good as you guys had been doing too. Because I feel like I've, say, I've seen some episodes where they seem to like really put some people in a, a bad light and it's really tough to tell if that's yeah. the case or not. But you guys obviously crushed it. You got the investment and you got the investment not necessarily from one of the um, typical sharks, but somebody who's kind of in the industry uh, specific to, to food and kind of well-known in that space. So what's that process been like since? Uh, have you guys seen a, a boost from, I, I would assume there's a big boost from the show. Uh, that's typically what I hear. But I'm curious since then, as it's been now over a year, right? I think, yes, well, going on a year. And so I'm just curious, how has that been? Um, besides, of course, maybe the big spike you get from it. How has that, how has that helped grow your business? And kind of where are you guys uh, aiming next? Yeah, I think, you know, you definitely see a big lift immediately, even while it's airing, you know, our, our website traffic spiked considerably, our Amazon orders really went through the roof. Um, Certainly compared to what we'd done, like the whole previous year we did within the first few hours of airing of Shark Tank. And so, um, you know, the partner that we have, his name is Rohan Oza. He was a guest shark. And he, he appeared a lot throughout the season. He's quite a personality um, and, and very witty and funny and quite charming. And so I think he presents well on the show as well as, you know, in conversation with him on the set. It was really uh, a good back and forth that we had. And so, um, you know, working with him has been it's been really wonderful. He's been very accessible. Uh, he's been very supportive and uh, he's been really helpful with uh, making introductions, for instance, and helping us to, he's a branding, marketing, you know, strategy guy. And so he's been really helpful in conversations around, you know, how do we create more brand awareness? What are some of the levers to pull to, uh, you know, get people talking about Jackson's Honest? Or how do we target this one specific geographic region? You know, what are some of the other things you've done with other brands? And he shares that widely and frequently. And so, you know, I don't know, I I know I've heard some other uh, people who've been on other entrepreneurs who've been on Shark Tank, uh, talk about their experiences working with more of the regular sharks, the, you know, Mark Cubans and um, Barbara Corcoran's, etc. And, uh, and I think depending, you know, they're all different on what level of engagement they provide for their companies. But uh, but Rohan for us has been uh, really rolling up the sleeves, digging in and and trying to help us get things done. And, you know, and I'd say it's more um, it's more kind of background stuff that we're working on doing than anything that you'd really see in the market or any big splash across the country with 
um, you know, Jackson's on is showing up in a television ad or, you know, just something crazy. It's really kind of putting all these pieces in place. Like how do you build uh, an influencer network, right? We, we had one, how do we add to it? What should we be looking for? You know, and just really getting a lot more clarity around, uh, around the branding and the positioning in the market and, and the story that we're telling. So it's been it's been really popular for us. I mean, that's good. And really positive, I should say. Yeah. And and so when it comes to kind of where you guys are at now, what are your, if you can give, give me an idea and share whichever numbers you feel comfortable sharing, but like kind of what's the size of the company now, um, whether that's again, employees, revenue or anything else that you guys feel comfortable sharing, but also what's your, what's your goal over the next year or two years? Or do you, are you doing this? Like, are you looking at this as like, you know, a five or 10 year stretch? How do you perceive that? I'm, I'm kind of curious to get kind of inside your brain a little bit about kind of where you guys are at at the size you're at and what you see as next steps essentially and what your goals are. Yeah. I mean, I think that like we're a tiny team of seven people, so that's definitely where we need to build out some of our team. Um, it, on the marketing side, for instance, on the finance side, for sure. And, you know, so we need to do some, make some key hires, um, in key roles because what I think the opportunities are ahead of us are really catapulting us to that next level that I discussed. And so, you know, going from a $10 million company to, a uh, 15 or 20 or 30 million, there are a different set of tools you need, right? Not just people-wise and experience, but in decision-making. There are, you know, there are costly decisions at, at a te- as a $10 million company than there were at, as a $1 million company, right? You could still sort of play around with it. I mean, I think for Scott and I, we feel like we have put so much effort and time and work and sweat into building the company over a five-year period to where we are right now. Um, that, that there's still so much more to do that we're really, you know, we have a lot of good distribution and kind of a saturation point in the natural channel. So in the whole foods and sprouts and those natural stores that you see the natural brochures, um, we have a lot of placement and a lot of distribution, but if you look at the conventional channel, we're just getting started in there. That's where the majority of people shop, right? That's an enormous opportunity. And so, you know, while we can look in the rearview mirror and see how much work we've put in to get where we are right now, there's still this very wide open space ahead of us that um, that we think we haven't even you know scratched the surface of. And so, you know, I don't know that this is a, a company I'll be running and he and I will be doing in in ten years or fifteen or twenty years or beyond. Like, will I be handing this off to my my children to run? I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that, but I know that in certainly the next five year period um, to eight year period, we will be continuing to grow the brand and grow the company and, um, you know, really trying to uh, get the placement and distribution that that we think is open to us. I mean, we're not even in, say, the club channel, the Costco's um, of the country. And so, you know, that that's, not something we've uh, attempted to do and it's not something that we can economically support uh, right now, but that's, you know, that's kind of rounding out when you think about, you know, what supports a healthy uh, company, particularly in our category as a salty snack or snack food company, you know, you need kind of all of those channels to be operating to some capacity. So it's, it's club channel, it's food service, it's conventional, it's natural, it's e-commerce, right? 
So you need to be playing in all of those and to what degree will be a, a function of many variables, funding, how much capital you have, um, who, you know, the experience on your team, all of those kind of relationships you have. And so it continues to evolve, but, but our next sort of immediate focus is, is, is opening up the conventional channel and really getting in front of those shoppers. Yeah, it seems like a ton of opportunity, um, given kind of even the size you're at, what you've already been able to accomplish, but to be able to kind of proactively say, yeah, this is the channel we're going to really double down on. I mean, I know you have to play in all those different channels, but um, it's just kind of interesting to kind of get the insight from where you're at and where you see as like the next immediate opportunity here. And of course, all those other ones, e-commerce, um, everything else you mentioned, Costco and those big wholesalers and um, really exciting. I, I think <laughs> there's like big things ahead for you guys and, yeah. and it's going to be pretty interesting to see kind of where you guys go. Um, is there anything that you're particularly excited about when it comes to this? And, and, and is it uh, with the business or, or any of these other things that you've kind of mentioned? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm excited about about all of that, that we just talked about, all of the opportunity that exists there. I get really excited about sharing this story and, and talking about, you know, truly this mom and pop company and brand and where the origins are in uh, in Jackson's story. And then certainly, you know, continuing to build it into his legacy. I think it provides a lot of meaning for, uh, Scott and I, and the rest of our kids. We have three other children and, and our team itself. And so, um, everybody's, you know, working really hard and, and is definitely probably overworked and underpaid at this point in this little, uh, company. But, um, but we all have this uh, sort of mission, I think, that we're trying to um, execute. And, uh, and it's really talking about, you know, why, we, why our products are different than the others that you'll find in that aisle and on that shelf. And then, you know, getting them in front of those customers to make those decisions. I think, um, you know, it's so difficult, particularly in the conventional channel, you're literally competing against like the Frito-Lay and the, the Kettle brand and the, you know, the companies that have been around for decades and have much deeper pockets than we do. And so I think finding the right alignment there is something that we're open to doing, right? And so if that's, I'm not saying, you know, one of those companies is going to, uh, to purchase us or, or anything like that. It's really like, how do we start to deliver, for instance, our products in the same way that these other uh, salty snack brands in the conventional market are delivering their products to those stores, because it likely looks different than how we deliver our products to the natural channel stores. And so, you know, these questions have definite answers. And so figuring out what those answers are, and then how do you evolve the business to support that? Um, you know, there are all these, I guess, pieces to the puzzle that we're putting in place every day while with one hand while you know fighting some kind of fire with the other hand and and for some reason that still really excites me it's it can be enormously stressful um at times but it also feels really uh purposeful i guess is a good word and and particularly in light of losing jackson the way we did yeah well, I, what a powerful story, Megan. I know everybody's rooting for you guys, and I wish you, of course, as much success as possible, and I'm, I'm sure you're going to crush in these next couple of years, too, when you guys get that wider distribution, everything else you're working on. So I just want to say thank you for sharing a lot of these insights on In the Trenches, and it was just such a pleasure having you on the podcast today. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm happy to share the story, and it was great to speak with you.
And that wraps up another broadcast of In the Trenches. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please do me a favor and go to tomworkus.com slash iTunes. That's T-O-M-M-O-R-K-E-S dot com slash iTunes and leave a rating and review for In the Trenches. Not only do I read and appreciate every review, but it helps spread the word of this podcast and allows me to continue to get on great guests. So thank you for your support, and I'll catch you on the next broadcast of In the Trenches.